Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes of the hottest wings, I mean, hottest shows, on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the writer Katori Hall. The Memphis native first made a splash with her Olivier Award-winning play The Mountaintop, which had its starry debut on Broadway in 2011, featuring the formidable cast of Angela Bassett and Samuel L. Jackson. She's written a number of plays since, including Hurt Village and Our Lady of Cabejo, and right now she's got two shows running in New York. The Tina Turner musical Tina, for which Hall wrote the book, has been running since the fall, and this spring, her latest play, The Hot Wing King, is having its world premiere at Off-Broadway's Signature Theater Company. Hall is in the studio with me to talk barbecue sauce, working with Tina Turner, and the very personal inspiration behind her new play. All right, so this is the interview portion of Stagecraft with Katori Hall. Hey, Katori, thanks for joining me. Hi, Gordon. How are you? I'm great. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So The Hot Wing King follows a group of black gay men during the preparations and then the aftermath uh, for the annual Hot Wing Festival in Memphis. Mm -hmm. Um, And early on, there is a lineup of hot wings with a number of different (laughs) flavors of varying degrees of (laughs) sort of gourmet fusion flavors going on. Uh Which led me to my first question, which is, are you a hot wing aficionado? And do you have experience with any of those sort of outre flavors that you've got going on? There? Oh, child, you have no idea. I am the hot wing queen <laughs> oh, okay. of Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. I think most people think, when they think about Memphis, they think about barbecue. And yes, we are you know, famous for our barbecue, but I would say Memphis is the hot wing capital of the world to the point where they're actually going to start doing the world championship right. this year right. down in Memphis for hot wings. Because the festival is a real thing, it's or at a, least related a to a real thing. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Definitely inspired right. by a real thing. I think we call ours the... Um, just a hot wang festival, and I think right. the real one is like Southern Hot Wang Festival. Yeah. So, right, I didn't use yeah. much imagination <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> and do you uh, do you have opinions about sauces and flavorings, and like, do you do that yourself? Or? Yes, yeah. you know, um, just because I was, you know, 
Um, I grew up in a, a cooking family. Like, everybody can burn. That's, right. you know, Southern language for you can cook real good. Yeah. <laughs> and my... And this is in Memphis, we should say, yeah. for people who don't know. Yes, yeah, Memphis, yeah. my hometown. Yep. And so, you know, there is a science, there is an art to cooking. It is an, an artistic venture. And hot wings specifically, there's just so many different variations to it. And, like, the best hot wing spots have this... Um, amazing menu. So I think at the top of the play, we we basically kind of lay out the menu. We got mm-hmm. that lemon pepper wet, yep. that lemon pepper dry. We got hot, hot, and hot. <laughs> and then what's the other one? There's a blueberry one. Uh, oh yeah, There's and blueberry that, birds. That one sounded really good. Which I wanted is that one. So good. Yeah. <laughs> and oddly, I actually didn't. Um, uh, I've never seen blueberry birds in Memphis. I actually saw them in New York. There's this place yeah. called the Buddha Bar, which is my old neighborhood um, in Washington Heights. Yeah. And they, this cook created this concoction of chicken and blueberry, and it was it sounds so, great. It was great, and it kind of made me be like, "Oh my god, there is a gourmet approach to chicken." Like people think chicken just like ah, it's just right. you know, po people food, but it's not. It, right. You can you know make it an elevated dining experience. Right, and so the. What's your favorite wing flavor, first of all? I like lemon pepper okay. dry, but you have to, it has to be by a cook who has a light hand. Because okay. if you put too much, it just goes salty and it's just like that. Eh, right. And that's know? like a rub, basically? Or it's kind of more like, like a, a dry rub. Okay, and then, yeah. you know, there's different kind of, um, you can do fried wings and and then there's grilled wings. Right. I prefer fried wings. Okay. Um, because I think this, the sauce sticks to it better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so... It, it, part of the um, the the kind of main event is around these the making of these wings that are this like it's like I mean maybe I shouldn't spoil what the actual flavor is but it's very <laughs> it's uh, it's very gourmet and it's got a lot of elements in it it's lot, got a lot too of, many sort elements. of gourmet buzzwords <laughs> have you made that yourself and do they actually make anything like it on stage because they uh, so I um, I came up with this. Yeah. You know, recipe that, you know, you have to come see the show if you want yeah, to know exactly. what the... exactly. No, I think that's the, right. Yeah. The made chicken <laughs> recipe is. And um, I did some research, and I started taking cooking classes in, in New York, and so I I learned... For this play or just no, for yourself? No, in general. Yeah. I was for myself. Yeah. Just to add a more kind of um, a gourmet approach to cooking. Yep. And... I learned about, you know, making different kinds of sauces, you know, from scratch, from yep. scratch, from scratch. Yep. And so on stage every night, yep. <laughs> our family, they do the recipe on stage. They And they have to eat it. So it, <laughs> they have to cook it all the way through. Yeah, they do. They have to do the flash fry right. And every day before um, uh, the show, we go through the motions because it's a dance. You have yeah, right. hot, you know, um, eyes. You, you, I mean, there's the risk of getting burned. Of course. Um, there's the risk of dropping the sauce. Right. Um, and so they kind of turned into this kind of mini kitchen line um, on stage. And it's one of my favorite parts of the, of the show to watch and people do something and there's a process yeah. happening right in front of your eyes and it's kind of like watching sports, right? right? Like you don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to burn? <laughs> Is it going to be good? And you can smell it from the, you can in, smell the, it. in the audience. You so. can absolutely smell You can smell the garlic. You can smell the butter. Like Have you tasted it? I every time during rehearsal, I'm like, wait a minute, save me a wing, y'all, save me a wing, and they they but then they eat it up, and it's funny. Um, yeah, the, yeah. one of the characters, Big Charles, 
Um, he eats up all the sauce, and they made sure that he had bread so he can sop up all the sauce <laughs> yep, that yep. you know doesn't get you know stuck to the wings. It's it's a it's really good. Right, it's <laughs> sounds really good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever been involved in a competition like this? I haven't been okay. involved in a competition. I would like to though right. one day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all the prepping and sous chefing that they do, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of the backdrop for this emotional story, right? Mm. That's going on with all these characters, yeah. like particularly uh, this couple, Cordell and Dwayne, mm-hmm. and uh, along with two of their friends and Dwayne's nephew, who shows up unexpectedly, um, in the midst of them, you know. Have, like, doing an overnight session of like jamming on these wings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like from what I've, from what I've read and from what I've talked to you a little bit about, uh, that this, the inspiration for this is a very sort of personal one for you. Can you tell me a little bit about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. So my brother, uh, Wayne, Wayne. Oh, <laughs> I didn't I use much imagination there either. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Uh, but no, um, it, it's about him and his partner. Like mm-hmm. they've been together for, um, 12 years now. And it's really just this, opportunity for me who I feel as though I've witnessed his love I've witnessed their struggle I've witnessed you know like the things and the ups and downs that they've gone through as a black gay couple living in Memphis Tennessee Um, and I it's a love letter to them and um, I'm very grateful that they have always been very honest with me about their relationship and 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 um, Charles, um, my brother's partner, specifically, you know, he had a very interesting coming out where um, he was married. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't had no. He, it just didn't cross his mind that he was ever going to be in a relationship with a man. And I remember having a very long conversation with him, and I was like, "Okay, you've been married, you have kids. Like, are you bi or are you gay?" And he was like, "I'm just a man who fell in love with your brother." Mm, yeah, and. You don't often get to see stories about, uh, like, a whole group of black gay men on stage. Um, I can't even what, think of I can't either, actually. One. Like, I, when I, mean, I say I don't often. I, yeah, I, I, I know, like, TV shows, like, there's Noah's Ark, which I love, oh, yeah, by uh-huh. Patrick Ian Polk created, yeah. like, very revolutionary um, TV show. Um, and even past that, I think he created The Skinny Mm. I can't really think of much. Yeah, and certainly not on stage, right? Like that's I I don't even not that I could think of anyway. And so, what what felt important to you to uh, sort of highlight in this story and uh, with these folks that it not really be about them being gay, that it be about them being human, that it be about them loving each other, that it be about them supporting each other. You know, I think coming out stories are cool. Mm. I, I love them. I think um, we should keep having them. But I, I kind of want to shift the, the expectation of a story yeah. about black gay men and that, you know, it's like they're already out. Right. It is what it is. And um, that's not necessarily the center of the conflict. The conflict is, you know, how do we learn how to love each other as human beings? How do we create a partnership that is equal and both people feel loved? How do we... Um, as a village of just black folks, you know, let, like let's not even talk about like being gay and black. Let's just—it's just about us being black, taking care of family. Um, you know, I think another surprising thing about the show is that, you know, you see this father and son relationship where you know um, the, the couple they're kind of arguing over whether or not they're going to take care of Dwayne's nephew, and it. It's really kind of looking at, you know, how do we as black folk kind of 
step in when you know there are other um, struggles that are happening within a family unit. You know, oftentimes you know, I've seen a lot of family members have to you, you know take in nephews and take in nieces and and be the the moms and the dads when the moms and dads weren't able to. And I find that to be um, you know a reflection of like all kinds of communities of color where the extended family um you know is family like there is no half brother there is no half sister that's your sister that's your brother right yeah did you how did the how did the pairing of the hot wings uh with this story Mm -hmm. kind of happen for you you know i i love what i call process plays Mm -hmm. where you see a group of people um come together to um, create something. You know, I've written a play that's about quilting, you know, and mm-hmm. this play that's about cooking, just to see um, all hands on deck doing something and watching them beat by beat by beat, you know, uh, do something, which is what I'm doing when I'm creating, when I'm writing. Like, it, it is a beautiful process, the beautiful process of creation. And so I just felt like um, within this process, within this 24 hours, I want to deal with this, like, deep emotional story. Right. And so it was kind of, I kind of used it as a parenthesis, mm-hmm. like a beginning and end. And within that time, I have to, you know, um, deal with how these men are going to figure out um, are, is is Cordell gonna stay? You know, like is is Vanessa gonna sign the the divorce papers? Right. You yeah, know, yeah. what is going to be the the family situation or the configuration of dads if you know they do take in this 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 struggling nephew? Yeah. So like all these questions are posed within that twenty four hour period. Like the hot wings get done, yeah. <laughs> but like you know life continues after that process. And I always felt like the play has to land on a question like there's no clear cut reconciliation I think I just think that the this emotional story of this nephew needing their help um just brings into sharp relief like all the 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 unfinished um business that these two men have um within their relationship and I think by the end it's not a like kind of Hollywood reconciliation there's no like I'm so sorry and and you know you are the love of my life it's like no you're the love of my life, but you make me fucking mad (laughs) (laughs) because Uh that's authentic and that's like real life. But we're going to figure out how to work beyond because like next year there's a festival and next year I will be here. And that's all I want the audience to to leave with is like they want, I want them to be rooting for um, everybody on stage, not only like the couple, but you know, this new kind of configuration of the American family that I've been very interested in putting on the American stage. Yeah. The, uh, you don't think of it. It can be tempting to think of it as a comedy when you watch the first, uh, you know, half hour yeah, or so because it's so funny and they're having such a good time mm-hmm. um, and they're you know ribbing each other and doing all sorts of. Like, they're just having a lot of fun. Um, but as you're as you're talking, it's, I feel like it's clear that uh, not the a listeners comedy. that the play is yeah. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's, you can laugh it's though. Very, you, you will laugh a lot, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. but uh, there it takes on some uh, really serious things. Weighty issues. Yeah. Absolutely. And how long have you been working on this play? When when did the sort of spark for it happen? I feel like I've been working on it all my life. (laughs) Um, But it's that thing of when do you put pen to paper or fingertips to computer? Um, I would say two and a half years in terms of the actual um, putting it on the page, Mm. like from vomit draft. And then I did round tables at the Signature Theater. We ended up doing a three-day-long pre-rehearsal in, in December, and then we had, like, a three-week 
um, rehearsal period, which is too short for a new play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too short. <laughs> what have you been learning? What have you learned about the play over the over the course of putting it up? You're about to this is we are in previews right now yeah, as I'm talking to you for uh, its world premiere run. What have you discovered? Just, you know, that it's a tricky tone. I yep. think in the Katori Hall universe, I I embrace like like guffaw laughter, LOL laughter with like, oh my God, I'm crying mm. moments. And they're like, you know, it, it flips like very quickly. Um, and I, I think in previous plays, a lot of people have seen that and they felt like it's too sharp. Um, things that I've written. Mountaintop is one that has that comes to mind where they the the tone it, it being funny and then it being about oh my god death they're like mm-hmm. ooh that's just like too sharp of a turn and so I think with this play I've kind of learned how to um, make keep embrace the sharp turns but there always be a kind of um, I think because the story bed is so strong it never feels like it jumps off track. Mm. Um, that's just what I've seen in terms of like you know craft and and my growth as a as a writer. Um, other things that I've learned about the play, I mean, you just get an opportunity to like you know clarify things or be like, oh, that's too much language. I need to pull that back. Um, there's still some things that um, I'm I'm interested in fixing. Like there's um, I remember uh, last week I was like, oh, there's a lull in the cooking section. Let me give them some more language so that they can kind of keep the, the humor bubbling and percolating. And then once the process of cooking ends, it has a better kind of climax in, yeah. in that specific section sure. of the play. Yeah. So, yeah, like constantly just standing back and, and, and molding and shaping. And, you know, it's been a challenging process because not everybody um, on the stage has been in a new play process like this before. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so kind of, um, and there's a ton of, of, of things to do. Like, they are really playing the piano. They are oh, yeah. really singing. They are really playing basketball. They are really cooking, like, all these different rituals. Um, that and we're you're pe- throwing new lines at them. And I'm throwing, this, right? throwing yeah. new lines. I was like, yeah. here's another chainsaw <laughs> to juggle, you guys. Yeah. And so, um, and but they've been really, really game, but, you know, yeah. Um, but I always tell them, I heard Brandon Jacobs Jenkins came in with a whole new second act one day. <laughs> so don't get mad at me for four more new lines. Okay. So don't get mad. Yeah. Like, this is a playwright's theater. Signature right. theater is a playwright's yeah. theater. And y'all got to do what y'all got to do <laughs> to make it work. But they have, like I said, they've been game. Yeah. They've yeah. been game. How are you finding the... The fact that it's, it's this group of people that we don't get to see on stage very often, how is that reflected in the audience and their reaction, do you find? Oh, so um, the audience is so different every night. I yeah. always told the actors, like, you're going to get a seventh scene partner. Mm-hmm. And it's that audience. And they're going to laugh. and They're going to stop your show sometimes. And mm-hmm. you have to be very uh, aware of them. Um, in terms of the demographic that I've seen, it's funny. I think as a black theater maker, we often do the count where we look at the audience and we just count how many black folks up in there because it does change the 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 interaction between the audience and and the actors because i do think black audience members are used to um more call and response it's a it's a cultural thing like it's like there's no kind of need to feel 
um, be polite or to repress your kind of instantaneous um, appreciation mm-hmm. or or d- dislike. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I do notice when the the audience um, has more people of color, there's more of the back and forth, and the and the audience is just um, just they're more they they're more loud. Yeah. You know they're they're more present. Um, but that's not to say that an audience that is older and white is not they're not that they're not appreciating the the play just like people of color they actually are there was one night where i decided i'm not going to watch the show i'm actually going to watch the audience mm-hmm. and it was a tuesday night it might have been the night that you went i'm not uh, it sure it was just this past week so it uh, might have been yeah. that was i think that was a Did, but there was a talk back after there was a talk back after okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 they were they were a little subdued <laughs> i was like oh lord oh lord i was like this show was off oh lord but i looked and no i was like no one's asleep no, no. Everyone's zoned in. Everyone's staring at that stage. At the end, people are sharing tissues. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, okay, I don't think um, it matters what color you are, what right. gender you are, right. uh, what your sexual preference is, you know, when you see this show. I do think because it's so specific, it is very culturally specific, um, but I think I've been able to, uh, within that specificity, uh, do something extremely universal, and I think that's why you know I got old little white ladies coming up to me, you know, crying at the end and and, and saying thank you for this play. Right. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people are like, "How did you write this play? You're not no gay black man." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "But I'm a human being." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's how I did it. <laughs> how do you think this play would uh, fare in Memphis? How would audiences react in Memphis? I'm think? not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I do think that. Because there aren't a ton of images of black gay people, period, yeah. whether it's film or TV, um, to have a play that we can't even like, we can't even think of what that play was before that has gay black men right. in it. Right. Like it, it's almost like a like a choir revolution yeah. to just see you know these men gather and be um, their their beautiful loud selves. Um, I hope that the South would embrace it, um, specifically in Memphis, because it is a it's a play that is set in in my hometown. But I think maybe um, Atlanta might it may do better in Atlanta versus mm-hmm. Memphis. But you you just never know. I mm-hmm. do think um, art is a way to kind of like pull uh, society kicking and screaming into the now and into the future. And and even if there's like one or two people in an audience in Memphis, I think it'd be worth doing the play there. Um, but obviously, there's still a lot of homophobia in all communities, right. so people may not take it take it in. Like, and even like you know, um, I think it was like Sunday. There's this um, there was this woman that I was sitting beside, or she was on my row, and um, I think um, uh, who EJ asked Cordell, like you know, you you prefer you know the D over the P mm. like I can't believe it and then the, this one was like exactly like <laughs> she was she wanted to know why he preferred the D over the P as uh, well okay so yeah. it's that thing of um there's some judgment but but at the end but she stayed on on the journey with us even though she sure, <laughs> her <sure>. opinion <laughs> yeah, uh, well. about the situation she as just well she needed a question answered it's yeah fine. yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> cool <laughs>
<laughs> and you, you're working with a director named uh, Steve, Steve H. Brad. Broadnax mm-hmm. the third. Yes. Um, and he's, uh, from what I understand, he's been sort of involved in in this project from for a while. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about your work with him and what he sort of brought to it. Absolutely. So um, Steve and I met when he did a production of The Mountaintop at People's Light. And I remember mm-hmm. coming Where's to... People's Light? People's Light yeah. is in, I think it's in Malvern, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Um, I ended up going to a rehearsal and just, you know, and I, I think I was doing some changes, some tweaks on the last monologue of the play. Um, and we we stole away to McDonald's one morning and over very dry <laughs> sausage and biscuits, we were <laughs> talking about, you know, the future, like things we wanted to work on. And I told him about this idea uh, about this play called The Hot Wing King that was going to be based on my brother and, and his partner. And he was like, you have to write that play. Um, Steve would be the first person to tell you that he's, you know, a same gender loving black man. And he was like, I don't see those those plays. I don't see myself reflected in the American theater. And so <laughs> over the course of years, um, I would get a, an email every now and then from him, like, where them pages at? Have you started the play? Where they at? Where they at? And, you know, he's from Little Rock, okay. Arkansas, yeah. you know, an hour away from Memphis, hour and a half away from Memphis. And, um, so very much understood the South and understood the need for a nuanced, complicated portrayal of that community, him being from that community. And so I always say that the play never would have gotten written if he wasn't so annoying and <laughs> sending sure. me yeah. these emails every once in a while. Um, but, you know, once I got that vomit draft done, we mm. ended up doing a roundtable um, and from very quickly, you know, signatures like we really want this to be your the last play of your residency right. here. Right. Mm-hmm. It, oh, is it the last one already? It's I guess the, it is. It is. Oh, wow. It took me eight years to do my five year residency. I mean, that's how that's, that's how writers work, right? I know. <laughs> yeah. I had babies. <laughs> no, all, yeah. all kinds of stuff was happening. So. I'll have more with Katori right after the break. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Now here's more with playwright Katori Hall. And in addition to The Hot Wing King, uh, you've got, of course, another show running in New York, mm-hmm. um, Tina. Um, what You're from sort of the same area yeah. as Tina's from not Memphis, Nubbush. right? But, but it's like, yeah, it's like tw- uh, I think Nubbush is probably an hour away from Memphis. Okay, yeah. yeah. Very close. How did you find that sort of shared heritage was mm. useful as a perspective as you were thinking about putting her life on stage? Oh, I think it was everything. Yeah. I feel as though um, the one thing that I always said I was going to bring to uh, that production was that I wanted to provide context. Mm. I wanted to provide social context, cultural context, psychological context. Um, I think when you are a black person growing up in the South and growing up at the time that she did, you just come with a, a, a difficult inheritance. And I wanted to make sure that that was interwoven through every scene 
um, and, and, and fed into the songs. And I think we were really, really successful in doing that. And Tina herself really understood the need for um, authenticity, um, really wanted to like get it right in so many different ways. And I really think we were able to, to do that, um, you know, with her help. And it just, it's crazy that I ended up, I'm from Tennessee and she's from Tennessee, but I, w I was really able to use my own lived experience to kind of, um, you know, make, make moments more grounded because um, as a jukebox musical, it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> There's a dark. People are like crying and like, they just, it's, it's like a very, like, wrought, highly wrought emotional experience. And it's because of that difficult inheritance right. that I think um, yeah. a lot of black folks and, and it, you know, Tina's life wasn't always so easy, right? It like, was so, not. Yeah. No yeah. rolling on the river. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, right. very yeah. hard. Yeah. How hard, uh, I mean, making a musical is really hard in general. Absolutely. But, um, <laughs> making. Uh, I feel like the particular challenge for uh, someone like you working on, as you called it, a jukebox musical, is you have to, the songs exist already, and so you have to yeah. figure out how they can serve a dramatic purpose and fit them into the story that you yeah. need to tell, right? How hard did you find that, and how, it's, and did you enjoy that process? I actually I enjoyed the process quite a bit. I'm actually very musical. Like, mm. there's music in probably every way, every play that I've ever written, mm -hmm. um, and I think the 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 language of the South has a musicality, and so um, yeah, I, I, I can't say it was easy, but I, I can't, it, but it, I wasn't. It wasn't the the most difficult process, yeah. and I think it was because of the freedom that I had to use the songs in any way and in any order that I wanted. Mm. Um, you know, she Tina only wrote one song her mm. entire career. It was Nutbush City Limits. And so you, it was hard to be like, well, if she's not writing the, the songs ever in her career, like how do we make sure that we're telling this very difficult journey uh, from tragedy to triumph, um, but using these songs in her catalog, um, some songs, you know, uh, just really hard to figure out how, how to use. Um, but what I found very interesting was that even over the course of her career, she gravitated towards songs that actually did reflect what mm. she was going through at the moment. Or if it didn't reflect at the moment, there it was uh, reflecting on a moment that happened in the past. And so that was a, one of the main reasons we decided to be very anachronistic to the approach um, to where the songs laid. So you have songs that are from the 80s, you know, fitting in scenes that are in the 60s. Right. And we're, you know, doing different arrangements, but it's very recognizable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I love the freedom that she gave us. What was the hardest song to get in there? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Oh, that's a really good. probably we don't need another hero. And I know some people are mad at us for including the song where we included it. Mm. Um, yeah, oh. it, it, it because you know it happens when um, she has figured out how to stand in her power and has finally pushed Ike away, and she has um, also accepted that her mother. Um, is a broken woman. And so this idea, like what the Thunderdome is, is right. the life that she has been living. And so when she goes, we don't need another hero, she's like, I don't need to... Basically, she, what I wanted it to reflect was that she doesn't need anyone else to um, um, shore her up. She does. She never needed Ike. Um, she never really needed to be part of, of the review in order to have this um, amazing voice. Like She always had it in herself, and her mother 
mother will never be her hero. All these people who kind of came in and broke her, they'll, she has to be her own hero. So that's kind of, um, that's what happens at that moment where she kind of transitions into the Tina that we ended up knowing and loving with that, you know, lioness hair. Right. And so I would say um, that song is the more, the most metaphorical Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like the, the placement was quite right because it was at that moment where she was um, letting so much of the pain and the tragedy of her life go. Yeah. You, you've alluded to this, and you just sort of mentioned the pain and the tragedy in her life. The, at, at the musical goes to some dark places. Like It doesn't sort of shy away from the harder parts of Tina's life. Mm-hmm. Why That was important to both you and to Tina and to everyone involved. Tell, tell us about why. You know, um, she always had a lot of trepidation with having her life turned into a musical. She was like, do people really want to sit through that? Mm. I was like, well, they sat through that movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, and I think there's there's something to um, using the theater as this place where it, it's a place where stories need to be witnessed. And to be in the room with violence and to be in the room with hardship and to be in the room with blood, um, I think it, it, it makes you understand that depth and that, that pain and to be in that abyss with her when you are in the room with it. There's, there's something to like watching it um, on a screen and being able to turn it off, but when you are locked in that space and you are breathing and hearing the cries of a child that's being beaten, um, it, it, it is transformative. It, it makes you um, truly, truly um, just just understand like how un- disempowering violence is. And so because she has lived her life like an open book, um, I think she was very, um, um, even though she had some trepidation, she wanted us to be truthful to that pain and, and, and to that violence. And so I never uh, wanted to shy away. We actually ended up probably cutting out one fight um, just because we're like, well, do, you, do, do we really, really need him to like throw a symbol at her head again? Right. You know, I was like, okay, I think we got the point. Yeah. Um, and, but it was just very important to, you know, it's honesty, transparency, because that's how she lived her life. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself and your work working on Tina and working with Tina? Ooh, that I'm a vessel. I don't have any ego when it comes to this work. I feel as though there are just voices in my head and I, my fingers are just recording what these beautiful people are saying. And uh, I never was nervous. I just was like, Tina, I'm, I'm here to be um, a cup for your tears um, and, and my fingertips will be used in service to you to honor you um, to honor your humanity, to honor your struggle. And so I really come, I think now, I come to writing from a much different place where I don't necessarily need a pat on the back. I actually wasn't, I had a conversation with my agent, I'm like, should I even put my name on this project? Because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm coming in, and, you know, I can be uncredited. But they're like, no, sorry. <laughs> don't you. <laughs> thumbs down, thumbs down. They're like, yeah. nope, nope. I'm like, oh, okay. 
Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think maybe it's it's age, it's wisdom. I just feel as though I, I want to constantly be a vessel, and I'm very much dedicated to stories about women, stories about marginalized communities, and if I can do that for the rest of my life, I'll be happy. I will lay down in my grave. I'm very uh, happy. Yeah. I'm sitting across the table from you for listeners who cannot see you. You are wearing a hat that says oh, P Valley. Wow. It's in pink. Have you've my got P -Valley a swag, you've huh? got a jacket on that says P Valley season one yes. on it. And P Valley is uh, the TV show that you were working on. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, P Valley is based on my play Pussy Valley. Yes. <laughs> that I cannot <laughs> not appropriate for the television. Not appropriate yeah. for Comcast <laughs> and Time Warner, all them folks. Um, uh, it's it's based on that play, and it's set in a strip club down in Mississippi, and it follows the lives of. Of, um, a quartet of women as they figure out, you know, how to use the pole as um, a place of empowerment, um, even though, you know, they are um, in an unfortunate position because oftentimes strip clubs can be a place of exploitation. But I think um, what the show is trying to, to do is show that um, even in places of exploitation, people can find uh, moments of liberation. Yeah. And so the, the piece is um, very, <laughs> very interesting. It's been an amazing process, but very challenging because I've had to, you know, find I mean, women who can pole dance yeah. and act their asses off. Yeah. And how have you found the experience of television overall? Because you you're the showrunner of the yeah, show. Yeah, I was the yeah. showrunner. Yeah. And, and so, I, it was one of those things where they were like, no, we're going we're gonna to find someone to, yeah, yeah. to, to showrun with you. And no one lasted. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> they're like, uh-uh. Because it's, it's a, it is so different. It is so different from the theater, but there's a, there's some similarities. Um, I would say the the major difference um, is just that TV is about um, stories that got legs mm. uh, and and characters that you want to be with for not just two hours, but maybe you know uh, ten years. So trying to figure out how to kind of adapt your play or be inspired by your play. And 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 make a a story engine um, in in a place with characters that you know kind of had a, a, a an ending and trying to figure out well how do they go beyond that ending was yeah. you know was a struggle but the beautiful thing about TV is that it's not just you in American TV you have a writers room and I had some amazing writers like uh, I was talking about Patrick Ian Polk earlier mm -hmm. who created Noah's Ark he was one of my oh, PPs. Um, um, Tamara P. Carter, she worked on The Leftovers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, ma amazing writer, just like beautiful, beautiful um, uh, writers who were supporting my, this particular vision that I had in my head. And, you know, playwriting is so lonely. Yeah, it's just yeah. you in a room, and eventually you'll get to the actors. But, you know, um, that's, I would say that's the, the, the major difference. Um, I will say the big similarity between the two is that particularly if you are a showrunner, it is your vision. You have so much control. Like it, and it reminded me of um, when I, I had meetings at Signature and I, I would be like, no, I don't like that part of the set or I don't like that costume right. because it's a playwright's theater. So yeah. oddly, I would say my time at Signature probably trained me to be a showrunner because hmm. I never, and that's it. That's yeah. interesting, right? Yeah. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't think no. that. No. Um, 
Yeah. And this is when does it it premieres this summer? Yeah, yes, so right? June seventh yep. is our premiere date. It's <laughs> Tony night. I was going to say, is that Tony? It's night? Tony night. I was like, well, I hope I have a busy night that night. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> and that's on Stars, yeah. It's on Stars. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, one question I've always wanted to ask you is: your the play that we most of us first encountered of yours was The Mountaintop, which mm-hmm. um, got its start. Not anywhere in the U.S., but at this little tiny, you know, yeah. theater upstairs in a pub yeah. in, in London. Theater 503. Yeah. <laughs> How did young playwright Katori Hall, who <laughs> most people have not heard of at that point, get her play into the hands of folks all the way in the U.K. to put I... on in a little pub? So crazy, right? So yeah. a lot of people don't know, but I started out acting. I, I did not know that, actually. Yeah, I started out as an actor. Yeah. And I remember... James Dacre, who eventually directed Mountaintop, was in New York on a Fulbright, and I auditioned for him. Mm. And I think it was like an Ann Bogart class. It was like, it was like <laughs> very avant-garde. Um, and so we kept in touch. We kept in touch. And I was working on the play at the Lark Theater um, Development oh, yeah. Center. Mm-hmm. Here in New York. Here yeah. in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I remember he emailed me out of the blue and was like, hey, Katori, um, what are you working on? I'm like, um, oh, working on this play. Here, read it. And three days later, he was like, I convinced a theater called Theater 503 to um, produce it. All right. Do you want to do it? I was like, <laughs> sure. I ain't got nothing else to yeah. do. Like, what? I'm, like, come on. I'm like 28 years old at yeah. the time. I'm like, whatever. Let's go do this. Yeah, yeah. So I went to London. It's so funny. I remember um, I was supposed to graduate from Juilliard that year, and I didn't even go to graduation because I had to get on a plane. What did you study at Juilliard? I was um, in the playwriting program. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. just suddenly thought, wait, did I not know all along that you were an actor at Juilliard? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. No. Great. Um, and... <laughs> And yeah, I flew over there and started rehearsals with, uh, I think it was David Harewood and Lorraine Burroughs, mm. and it was a wonderful experience to be outside of America and, you know, be working with actors who didn't necessarily have this kind of, I would say, knee-jerk, protective um, feeling towards King. Um, there was a, there was this cultural distance where mm. they, they felt like they can, um, or they didn't feel the need to. Um, just not be honest and not be truthful, which is what the 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 play is. It's a very warts and all portrayal of him. It pokes fun at him even, right. um, and they were willing to to do that very transgressive thing that a lot of actors in America uh, were not interested in doing. I remember sure. I had done readings and people dropped out of the readings once they you know read the play. Right. Um, I had developed it in so many different places. And they were like, Mm-mm, I don't want to, I don't want to do that workshop production because you know she's you reading Dr. King for filth and we ain't mm. got them. Mm-mm. So um, I I just lucked out you yeah. know, when yeah. it came to that email that I got from James Dacre <laughs> one day. And so looking ahead, what's next for you? You've got a TV show premiering this summer on Tony Knight, and um, <laughs> and you're you're com- you're just coming off this uh, the signature residency. What yeah. looking ahead? What what's next? I'm interested in 
obviously continuing to write plays. I will never leave the theater. Mm. I will never, ever, ever leave. So get used to me. <laughs> um, I have all these commissions that I need to finish <laughs> because I've been so busy yeah. with this TV show. I have um, TV show ideas. Mm. I've even thought about turning Halloween King into a TV show. I That occurred to me about halfway through the play. I thought this would be fun. It would be fun to hang out with these people a longer term. Mm, yeah. So, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, yeah. there's something in the future for that piece as well. Right. Yeah. And are you interested in doing another new musical at some point? Yes, I'm actually or... interested in doing a musical based on me and my husband. Oh. We, um, we met in, in Uganda, hmm. and I always say to people, we had to get married in order to date. Okay. So, kind of like yeah. a, a uh-huh. 90, was it, 90 Day Fiance type situation, yep. Yep. and so I wanted to do um, a musical, because he's a singer-songwriter. His name oh. is Alan Scoop, and so we've been um, coming together and doing... Uh, songs. I've been cool. like he's been jumping on my songs because yeah, uh, yeah. I'm now a rapper named Little Bad Cousin. <laughs> I have many Tell many hats. I have many more. many yeah. hats. <laughs> so what ended up happening was my budget, my music budget for P Valley wasn't the best. So there was in episode two, I needed a song and I could not afford the songs. Like the episode two was crazy. We were like over budget by like triple and in is, music. Is this episode two like <laughs> I'm presuming you made a pilot and then I made a, mm-hmm. waited a while for them to green light it? Or like was we, this the full second was this, did this feel like really the first episode of the show for you? Or no, no, no. Okay. They had they had it was kind of like more like a it serious a, order. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It so was just it really episode was your two second episode. Was, okay. was crazy. Yeah, yeah, and and there were and I was like I need a piece for this moment. I was like you know what I'm gonna go in the studio. So what was interesting like we were in Uganda on vacation, mm-hmm. and so my husband has this producer that um, he works with. They went in, they produced a track for me, and then I came in and I just rapped over it. Right. And then we did you know some like mixing it so it doesn't kind of it doesn't really sound like me, but it does. Yeah. And we laid it into into the show. Delightful. Yeah. I can't wait to hear. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna send it to you. I'm gonna send it to okay, you. You can tell no, me please. if it slaps or not. Yeah, yeah. Please do. <laughs> Have many jobs, Gordon. I th- many I, jobs. Clearly, yeah. And so I think probably we should end on a really important question, which is if listeners find themselves in Memphis, mm. where do they find the best hot wings? Oh, Chings. Okay, see, I knew you'd have an answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they're my, and it's funny, we we um, we name check it in, in the play. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah that's Chings. right. Chings. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But then Cordell's is going to come. So. Well, the Cordell's, yeah, we look forward to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Katoria. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. That was playwright Katori Hall, whose latest, The Hot Wing King, is now having its world premiere at Off-Broadway's Signature Theater. Her work can also be seen on Broadway in the hit Tina Turner biomusical, Tina. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd so appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Find past episodes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Broadway Podcast Network, and anywhere else finer podcasts are dispensed. And if you've got feedback, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theater. Have you ever 
ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 